very hard on, on fitness and um, and the running game. That's what kind of led me to, to want this dream of being a, a racing driver. There's no point in time in anything except standards of excellence. We will deal with the Talton Cup if we're in it and we will certainly give it every bit of respect. There's no feeling that beats playing for Ireland. My God, I'm going to do everything that is possible to bring us there. This is Sports Beat Extra. It's Saturday evening and I'm very pleased to be joined by the head coach of the Ireland Under-18 women's basketball team to discuss their performance in the recent Euros. But first up, I'm speaking with the man who's had feet in the ground in Munich all week for the European Athletics Championships. I'm Sean Connolly and you are very welcome to Sports Beat Extra. Sports Beat with John Kennedy Motors, Cashel Road, Clonmel. You'll never take a wrong turn with Toyota. View our full range of cars at johnkennedymotors.ie. I'm pleased to be joined by Will Downing. Will was lucky enough to be in Munich during the week. How are you doing today, sir? Sean, absolutely great. Um, absolutely delighted. The atmosphere has been brilliant all week. Absolutely. And I think one thing has stood out to me that every so often a sporting event happens that captures the imagination of the country. And for the first time in a little bit, this Euros very much feels like that. I mean, no better place to start. Israel Alatunde, what he has done and the imaginations of young and old that he's captured in the country are just outstanding, aren't they? I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's 20 years old, born and raised in Dundalk. He's come through a local club, Dundalk, and he's gone through to UCD now because that's where he is. And he still had the same coach all the way through, Daniel Kogallan, who was coaching Rashida Adeleke until she went over to Texas in the past year. And the funny thing is on Monday morning, right, so uh, the women's marathon was on at the same time, and we had Fanula McCormick in that, who's been European cross-country champion twice, and she's won team goals. It was uh, quite a strong-looking team. With um, you know Eva Cook as well from the All who was competing in that team, kind of weighed the two things up. Uh, with Israel in the Olympic Stadium, the marathon at the same time, so I said, okay, we'll go and we'll watch the marathon. It's a fifty-fifty decision. And then when we're watching the marathon, the news comes in that Israel actually wins his team in the one hundred meters. And you think, okay, that's quite something. And then obviously he, he actually gets through um, automatically to the final, and he's run uh, the second and third fastest Irish time ever. Breaks his lifetime best. He goes beyond his old best of 10.24, running 10.19 in the heat, then 10.20 in the semi-final. And he thinks, well, what can he do in the final? And, you know, his celebrations after he saw that his, you know, lifetime best had been broken and that the Irish record that had stood for 15 years for Paul Eshin had been broken as well. He, like he was celebrating, he could have done a lap of honour around the track as well. But the thing is, like he finished sixth, okay, which is brilliant for a final... But then you start comparing the times, and he's only four hundredths of a second outside the bronze medal because that was only ten point one three. And then you start thinking, well, he's twenty years old; it's his first European championship, it's his first major championship, full stop. And he's just had the confidence to keep going, but to have a little fun. You, you talk to him after every round, and he's still happy, he's bouncing, he's still a brilliant, he's still in great form. And you kind of think, wow, it could, and it could even have been better if he somehow managed to to find another extra couple of hundreds of seconds. He ran a lifetime best anyway. To even suggest he could have run faster is, I know, setting things a little bit, but you, you see how close he came to a medal and you think, well, look, if everything aligns perfectly, he, he could be quite sensational for Irish athletics in the next few years and he's obviously not the only one. No, he's absolutely in that. And as you said, he, he was a hair's breadth from a bronze. So I think really and truly the sky is the limit for the boy and I can't wait to see what else he moves on to. Moving on to an equally impressive talent and someone that is a, is a very good friend of Israel. We're talking about Rashida Akaleke and, and, and what she has accomplished 
shouldn't go under the radar because of what Israel has accomplished. Absolutely. I mean, Israel finished sixth. Rashida finished in fifth spot in the women's 400 metres. They both had the same coach for a long time in Daniel Kilgallen before uh, Rashida went off to Texas. And again, she was going through the rounds very well. And the thing is, like, I, I hadn't actually dealt with Israel or Rashida previously. They hadn't been at a major senior championship, and I happened not to have been working at the underage championships in which they've been succeeding. And, like, <laughs> she, she gets into the final, which is brilliant. She was buzzing after that. And then you, you go into the final, and she's lying in you know, third position, and she's heading into the closing straight, and she's looking really, really good. She's up there all the way. You've got the two... Um, Polish athletes who were just up there uh, ahead of her and I mean she looked absolutely awesome to be honest with you and she just just in the end was uh, pushed down into fifth Sam Cabal was well out in front of that with the European leader last night completed the first ever 400 black and hurdles double and Tishmarek of Poland was up with her for a lot but then pretty much you three athletes were all in a line fighting for the bronze medal going into the final straight Adeleke Uhurgu of Britain and Anya Chibazinska of Poland, and Poland traditionally have had very strong 4 by 400 meter relay teams in the women over the past 15 years. They've been the most successful European team in that. But, I mean, she fought She fought through. There was an interesting thing that she said to me in her uh, interview after the race, and that she, she suddenly kind of had a realisation that she was in third place. She's still only 19 years old. She's shown, shown a lot of confidence. She was in Oregon. She's had a brilliant year. She's broken the national record earlier in the year in the States and the NCAA uh, circuit there, the collegiate circuit, 50.70, and she's just built up a brilliant confidence about herself, but she just said that she suddenly realized that she was in the race for third, and sometimes when you're in the zone and you realize you're in the zone, then you're no longer in the zone. I'm not blaming that on, on a finishing in fifth place or anything like that, but she was pushing for a medal all the way through. It was still a national record by 1,700th of a second. It's still the fastest race yeah. she's ever run in her life, so we can't we can't have a problem with her running 50.53. She was just closed out from fourth place by 200 of a second by Victoria Hurugu in the end. Well, that's exactly it. And I think something you said was very interesting there. At 19 years of age, when she was coming into that final, we'll say 150, you could see that almost there was a realisation that, oh my dear God, I could do this. Maybe succumb to the, to the moment. And, and that's what experience will give to you. But then you saw that a little over 24 hours later, when she's competing in the 4 by 400s I mean, the leg that she ran in that, that was like a veteran who's been doing this their entire life, not a 19-year-old. So it just goes to show how much she had learned in the space of a day. Yeah, it's experience will always stand to you. And like experience doesn't have to be long-term experience as well. She ran the fastest leg of anybody across both semifinals. That was very impressive. The thing I would say about that, Ireland finishing in second in the semifinal behind the Netherlands, is that Ireland were definitely going full tilt all the way through. But a lot of the others, more experienced teams, maybe not necessarily the same situation. And they would have squads of eight in which they can interchange where the talent is there. Netherlands particularly, Poland, as I mentioned, have always had a very strong 4 by 14 And Britain are, I think, two or three seconds on paper faster than anyone else going into the season. But, I mean, you look at the squad, there's, there's Rashida, there's Sophie Becker from Wexford, there's Roisin Harrison, there's Phil Healy. You'd have, by her standards, quite a disappointing week. Uh, running individually earlier in the week, and she's not going through at all, bowing out, finishing quite low down around six or seven, which for her, in the heat, is very, very unusual. You'd expect it to at least go one round. But, I mean, a new national record, 3.26.06, the outgoing record, and that's the third Irish record of the week, which is the best we've done, I think, since Barcelona's 
2010, where there were four or five virus records broken, and then there have been four broken in Sydney in 2000 as well. Um, like, you go back 11 years, you have a team where Jesse Barr was knocking around in our team at the time, Marion Heffman, John Cunningham, Claire Bergen, and I was in Davies for that. I was the only Irish journalist to go there out of Ireland. I think there were three photographers who went there as well. Um, Daegu in the southern tip of Korea at a time when the results weren't expected to be brilliant from an Irish point of view. I think there were quite a few injuries as well. Some of our uh, bigger names weren't competing in that. I think David Ginnick and Durville both missed out. Durville actually had an injury just ahead of a semi-final. Literally, as uh, the athletes were coming out, there was a gap in her lane. Durville was expected to do well in that Um she had been the world indoor champion a few years earlier in Moscow and had won a couple of European outdoor silvers, but, you know, it didn't go right for her in that point of view. We now have a new generation coming in who are very young, very, very confident. And as a result of that, the older athletes in the squad, like the Kieran McGinn, Thomas Farr, marking which they've all been saying always, well, that's kind of given them a massive lift as well and kind of thinking, well, if they can do it, I feel inspired to do additional stuff as well. And, you know, the atmosphere within the squad, you can tell, absolutely funny. We have massive, massive eyes on this 4x400 tonight with Wexford's Sophie Becker. I mean, she's an inspiration to everybody in the region, especially those young girls that are looking at this. The whole squad and been able to say, we want to be like Sophie Becker. We want to be like these women that are going out trailblazing and, and really putting Irish athletics on the maps. I suppose keeping on the region and, and obviously someone that you made reference to there as well, Waterford's Thomas Barr. It was always going to be a big ask from lane eight with fresh athletes entering the competition at the semi-final stage. Coy in his post-race talk about hinting that maybe he didn't have it in him to run anymore. I think he's since abolished that. But what was your overall feeling with Thomas at the end of the race? He wasn't very far off. I know he, he, he had a bit of disappointment. There's no doubt about that. And like if you look at the likes of Oregon as well, something quite similar. I mean, 49-3-0 is really still quite good by his standards, by Irish standards. But... He, he finished third in a semi-final, and it's only the top two automatically going through because there were three semi-finals, then the next two best. So he had the next best time. Fastest losers, as it used to be called, for kind of that, that phrase is they're trying to phase it out. But then you've the second semi-final. You've got Carson Warholm, who ended up winning the gold last night. And, you know, the world record holder, the Olympic champion, the, 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 the man who absolutely dominated this event basically since London 2017. He's in the second semi-final. He goes very fast, 48-38 which means he drags everyone else with him. So then suddenly, uh, Barr is knocked out of the hot seat. If you, uh, anybody was watching on Thursday, you actually literally are in his seat, and you're watching all the action, and then you hope that you would make it, but in this case, he didn't. And then the third semi-final comes out, and he's got to be quite painfully watching that, and they win to Capello in a time that's slower than Thomas Barr ran in his semi-final. Capello ended up winning a bronze medal last night as well. So it, it's an event where... Below Warholm, it is really very tightly matched in terms of uh, European status. Bar was usually tilting against Rasmus Maggi of Estonia for bronze, maybe a little bit higher than that if you could ever achieve that. So he will say he wasn't very far away, but the fact is he wasn't in the final, and that won't be good enough for him. Um, he won a bronze in Berlin. You have to be very professional about your outlook. He's been the World University Games champion as well. He's been, I think, one of the best athletes we've had over the past. 10, 15 years. He's won a major championship medal. If you win a major championship medal, then I think in terms of athletics, it means that we've had a good championship. Uh, certainly, it can save the day in a lot of different elements. He will absolutely... It depends on his reflections today, but when I was talking to him after the race, he was very philosophical about it. He was absolutely disappointed, which I know is an overused word in sport, but I think there was genuine disappointment there. 
And I, I think it would continue a little bit in that he'll feel it's one that just slightly went away. Um, he was 0.25 off the top two, so a quarter of a second, he was a bit behind um, Happio and Abouaka of France and Germany in that semi-final. And it's the way the draw is. There was a little thing as well, not to make any excuses, the, the top 12 will rank get a bye in the heat. It's what Barr had worked in his favour. He didn't have to run in the heat. Uh, four years ago in Berlin, he did run in the semi-finals, and from that point of view, he didn't like that either. But what it meant was that for the lane draw, despite being one of the fastest in the open right, he, he was still drawn in lane eight, which is you know really awkward. You're on the outside, and you've got no idea until it's too late. Often, what's happening inside your GLF, and you're, and you're certainly not going to tilt your head around when you're racing because that will cost you time. So the draw was very, very untimely. There's no doubt about that, but. He, he will be the first to say, no excuses, should have been in the final, unfortunately not this time. Absolutely, well, a nicer guy you cannot meet, and it'd be very, very interesting to see what way he goes. Moving to Carlo, and obviously Marcus Lawler had his 200 metres heat, he finished in seventh place and he clocked 21.10 seconds, it just didn't really click for him on the day, and I think he was pretty much expressive of that afterward, wasn't he? Yeah, I was talking to him afterwards, and like he lives quite near me, and he's had a sort of change of coach as well. He's always been coached by his mother for a lot of his career. We remember when he broke through as the school's champion, and he set the Irish under-20 records. And actually, Mike came very close to the Irish 23 records, if not breaking them, when he, he did the school's double going back, I'd say it's about seven or eight years now. And, like, you may remember as well, there was an injury picked up when competing in the European Team Championship in the 200 metres, and despite picking up a hamstring injury with 50 to go, he still got over the line to score points for Ireland. Um, he was really, really unhappy with his performance because he's had generally a good season, he's been running very good times, and as he said himself when I was talking to him after his race, he'll get to big championships, and then the, the performance that he wants isn't there. There seems to be a little bit of a plateau when others are just being able to make a step up. And that's the kind of a step that he'd be aiming to do. As we were saying about Israel and Rashida, that's what they've done. They go to a major championship. It's like Dervil O'Rourke for a long time. She was a championship athlete. Sonia was a championship athlete. Um, you can run on the circuit. You can get into Diamond League meetings. You can put very good performances in. Your career will always be judged on how you do in terms of championships. And, and when it comes to championships, as he said himself, he's just not been able to deliver. And you might say that it's the only blind spot of his career, to be honest. The last thing I want to touch upon here is, and we have to, is obviously the silver for Kieran McGeehan. You know, that's tremendous, obviously finishing second behind defending champion Laura Moore. Very tight race, claiming her third senior European medal of her career. I mean, amazing accomplishments from her. It definitely is. And like, the funny thing is, the oldest, um, I, I've said this to someone already this week, the oldest uh, photo I have on my phone, and I don't know why it's there, is her winning the gold medal in the European Youth Olympics in 2009. And she came through after that, and she won European underage title. It was the under-20 in 2011, the same summer that Gregan won his. Um, now, I was at the two previous titles, the, the, the great successes at Amsterdam, and in Glasgow in 16 and 19, and Amsterdam, it was kind of indicative of the kind of race she was running at the time. She, she was in the middle of the field with a few laps to go, and then got boxed off. There was a collision, and she fell, and she got a big scrape on her leg on her knee. Uh, got up, fought back, fed up, and then was in a big battle, not just for the bronze medal, but also Stefan Hassan. 
Definitely. She's gone through a few coaches since then. She's been with Jerry Kiernan, the late great Jerry Kiernan, uh, moved on then to Steve Vernon in the UK, has uh, been with Helen Clitheroe this year. And I, I think maybe if, uh, you know, thoughts from abroad, uh, she's now built up additional years of experience, but she now has coaches from overseas who'll tell her, you know, without any local bias or anything like that, they, they can tell her straight out, look, we think genuinely that you are one of the best middle distance runners in Europe. So show a bit of aggression. And she's definitely, she, she wasn't showing that kind of aggression in early years. She's going out the front. She's confident being out in front. There may be an element as well that her or her coaches have looked at what Laura Muir has done in the successes she's had over the past six, seven years. That was her Muir's sixth European title last night. And just, right, Muir goes out in the front. She grinds the opposition down. This is what you should do. And, and this is what she does do as well. And she's got no fear about going out in the front. And I'll tell you something as well that we've seen from the finals over the past two weeks, from Birmingham and now in Munich. She's got no fear of Laura Muir either. And I don't think there's a European athlete that has ever run Muir as close since she hit the top, you know, in the last five years. And I, I guess Belgrade, I guess, in 2017 in the indoors when she won the title there. Muir has been absolutely peerless in Europe. She's been the fence ball, if you like, in the 1500 metres. But, those two finals in Birmingham and now last night, McGee's had a very good go and she's come very close both times, particularly last night. So there's, there's definitely something there that is unlocked. She's happy to follow Muir. And you look at the success that Muir has had, particularly the world champions. She's always up there tilting around the medals. McGee now on form is only a second off that. So now it's, it's all about trying to find where that second is. But, I mean, the thing I'll say as well, and McGee was very praiseworthy of it in Birmingham, but, I mean all week as well. The crowd in Munich have been tremendous. And as an athletic fan, it's been great that of the five evening sessions we've had, three have been full houses. The atmosphere has been magnificent. The German performances have been great. And like on Thursday, we hit the million spectator barrier for the entire championship across all the sports. And Germany knows how to stage a major championship. And it's what I always say, if you put it in the right city, you will get fans there, you'll get full houses, and you will get a brilliant championship. And, and that's definitely what we've had. Here, here. As always, thank you for your time, sir. I hope you enjoy your weekend and the very best to you. Delighted. Thanks, John. Cheers. Sports Beat with John Kennedy Motors, Cashel Road, Clonmel. You'll never take a wrong turn with Toyota. View our full range of cars at johnkennedymotors.ie. Tommy O'Mahony, head coach of the Ireland Under-18 women's basketball team. It's great to have you back in the show. How are you doing? Uh, perfect, yeah. Not a bother. Good. So, no better place to start but the European Championships. Last game was played on the 7th of August. Do you want to talk us through the tournament and how you feel it went from start to finish? Um, yeah, look, uh, I suppose we, we played seven games. Um, we kind of aspirations with the start of the tournament to finish in the top eight and we missed out on score difference by two points, which is always heartbreaking. But, you know, coming off the, the last three games of the tournament, uh, we won three games and finished in ninth spot. So, you know, it was a good tournament overall, even though I suppose we could have finished the place too higher. But, you know, delighted for the girls finishing on a high. You know, it was a really tough tournament, but delighted with it overall. The tournament started out very well, obviously, with a win against Denmark. And then, obviously, two tough games against Serbia and Austria. I suppose when you're looking at the games that turn out to be that little bit tougher, you can find that the girls might learn an awful lot more from those losses as well. Was that the case? Um, yeah, definitely. You know, I suppose Serbia was a game going into the... We didn't expect to win, and we turned out, you know, we turned up a good performance. As well as Austria is, is the one everyone looks at. We, we should have won. Like, we were up 16 points going into the last quarter, and 
we kind of fell to pieces, you know. Um, and obviously that there's big learning learnings there as well, you know. And not alone for this tournament, but for for future future games for the girls. But you know, going into the Romania game and we had to win by seven points, and we ended up only winning by five points. That's another learning stuff. Even though we still won, there was disappointment there. And then going on to the other playoffs, like uh, we beat Norway in the next game, and then we had to play Iceland, and we had to win by ten, twelve to qualify, or ten to qualify. And the next spot, and we managed to get that, you know, down to the last couple of minutes. So it was always learning, you know. It's always learning, and obviously ending on a high point against Luxembourg and the manner of the victory against Luxembourg was fantastic as well because there was a lot of things going against you at the time, wasn't there? It was late preparations the night before and then coming into that game, there was there was a lot of weight on the shoulders. Yeah, definitely. You know, I suppose we I'd say we finished around 11 o'clock that night and we had uh, we'd a game at half 11 the next day. Um, I suppose what helped is they knew it was our last game. Um, and, you know, obviously ninth was our goal after we didn't make it to the top eight and... You know, they put in a huge, huge performance. We kind of stuck in there. We were always trailing. Um, we just managed to hang on to our coattails. And then fourth quarter, uh, people stepped up and hit some shots for us. And we managed to hold on near the end, you know, so which, which is always nice. And, you know, to finish and win the last game in the tournament and to finish ninth spot is always nice for them, you know. Definitely. It's some sort of a reward for all the hard work that's been put in. Now, I suppose... We spoke previously, obviously, in preparation for the tournament, and obviously it's a team game, but we always got to focus on some sort of individual accolades as well. We'd previously spoken about Sarah Hickey. Now, she was the second top scorer in the tournament, and that obviously followed her feet as top scorer for the Irish team during the recent under-20 European Championships. She seems to just be going from strength to strength. I mean, how high is this girl's ceiling? Um, I don't know. It's kind of she always breaks the ceiling for every every tournament she goes out. You know, obviously going over to the under twenty, two years out, she was two years out of her age is always a big step. But she kind of stepped up to that, and you know, she took it on board. And obviously going to the under eighteen, people will be looking at her to step up, and I, I think she did that. You know, um, you know, especially coming from the under twenty tournament, playing seven games, and then trying to play another seven games with us. And she obviously she was playing big minutes with us. There was there was a lot of pressure on her shoulders, but she took it on board. You know, like this Romania game where she had twenty three points and twenty two rebounds. Um, I think people often overlook that, you know. But she's young, uh, tremendous work work rate, and you know she she really did did us a pile of work throughout the tournament. And you can see even our numbers finishing second top score at under eighteen tournament is not often done by an Irish player, you know. So it was, it was great for her, you know. Um, so delighted. It's wonderful for her, and that's why I'm looking at it. Just, I think you summed it up the best there. That she constantly seems to break the ceiling. You think she's going somewhere, and she just eradicates that and just moves on to an entire new level. But it's not just that. I mean, it's been a whirlwind couple of months. We're looking at Kilkenny star Lucy Coogan, and, and Lucy now has a very, very exciting prospect ahead of her starting a scholarship over in New Jersey. Yeah, definitely. You know, Lucy's put in tremendous work throughout the season. You know, she's worked on her game throughout um, so it's delighted for her to get the opportunity to go away to the States she's playing with Col- Colville University so it's obviously an opportunity and she obviously did tremendous work for us during the season as well you know so hopefully she goes on to bigger and better things you know she's got four years over there now and hopefully she comes back a better player Now obviously the Waterford Wildcats is a huge part of your life as well moving toward that if you don't mind what, what news can you offer the region with regards to the, the Wildcats? Um, well, I suppose just coming off the, the European European Championships, um, we've only started. We've only started pre. We've only started preseason, um, so we haven't done much there, you know. So at the moment, we're still recruiting Americans. 
Um, Irish Bears are still getting back into it. The season starts in October, so I suppose over the next month that'll take shape. So unfortunately, we've I've no news to to announce on that end right yet, right now. But hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, it'll take more shape. You know, obviously, we finished third last year, and we're looking to plow on from that. You know, so hopefully, we get things together and make another good season for Wildcats. That's it. October won't be long coming around and uh, it's nice to see, I suppose, preparatory works are, are getting there. I suppose I have to make a special mention as well to Abby Flynn. Yeah, obviously, Abby is involved with the Waterford Camogie team. Her sporting ability seems to know no end. Yeah, um, Abby's, Abby's been great you know, throughout the ages. She's done a lot of her, for Waterford Wildcats underage and she's just blossomed with the Super League. You know, I suppose this is her second or third year and... You know, she was on the all-star team towards the end of the year, you know, so she'll only get better and better. Obviously, she's multi-talented with the Camogie. She's extremely well. Uh, this season with the Camogie, you know, she scored two points in the semi-final, even though she was injured. Um, but, you know, she, uh, again, she's uh, another one like Sarah Hickey, you know, seems to break the ceiling the whole time. So, obviously, expecting bigger things for her throughout the season, which she, she can flourish. Yeah, definitely. Sticking with the Super League. I'd just love to know your take on the news that dropped in Kerry, obviously in the last couple of months, about the withdrawal of the Super League team. I mean, that's going to affect the region massively. What do, what do you think about that particular news? Um, it's kind of hard. You know, I suppose especially for the girls that did want to play, and I suppose the club down there didn't feel they could facilitate another team down there, you know, so it's always disappointing when players can't play. Obviously, they're going to move to the to different clubs, but the more clubs you have in the Super League, the better it is, you know. So it's obviously disappointing, but obviously... Uh, Castle Island have their own reasons for dropping out of it um, so it is disappointing I'm sure um, they'll come again in years to come but you know like obviously in the South East we have Kilkenny we have Carlo so we're delighted with all the basketball there obviously the, the less teams you know it helps, It doesn't help the players you know playing trying to play at the highest level uh, which all players want to do so and all the aspire to you know we're delighted in Wildcats we have a Super League team we're, we're there for the last 20 odd years um, and it helps, you know, for our underage as well, something to look up to, uh, something to aspire to. So, you know, when you don't have a Super League team in your region, it's kind of hard. So it's disappointing, but I'm sure they'll be back in years to come. Well, here's hoping because the more teams that are there, the more competition, and the more competition can only improve the standard throughout the entire country. So the last thing I'll ask you there is, uh, when does preparation start now with Mercy Waterford? You're obviously heavily invested in that yourself. Um, yeah, so when we go back to school now, a week or two, we'll be, we'll be back in that. Uh, obviously, we're, we're missing, we're losing a lot of players. Uh, I think we're five or six of the team that won the cup in the league, so they'll be gone. But there are more other players on there, you know, so we'll be uh, entering the Southeast League, you know, so we'll have a go at that again, you know. So, but there's always, you know, when two or three players leave, there's always two or three players to set up there, so hopefully that'll be the case this year. So once we get back into school, I'm sure they're more delighted to get back into school. Um, so after a couple of weeks we'll, we'll start our preparation so hopefully that will go okay again this year Congratulations again on the outing in, in the Europeans I mean there's much to take from it and it can only I suppose boost the girls for their continuous development and as always fantastic speaking to you and the very very best for the weekend for you Alright thanks very much John appreciate that Sports Beat with John Kennedy Motors Cashel Road Clonmel You'll never take a wrong turn with Toyota View our full range of cars at johnkennedymotors.ie that's it for this week's show. If you've got a question or something you want to talk about, send me an email at sport at beat102103.com and we can have a chat. Dean's up next with Beat Anthems, but before that, we got something very special for clubs and sporting societies in the region. Club Focus with Eco Solar Energy, the solar experts you can rely on. Make the cleaner choice. EcoSolarEnergy.ie
Do you fancy winning a grand for your club? Yeah, that's got your attention. Club Focus is back. Each month I'll visit a club in the region and give them a chance to take their place in the limelight, featuring on-air, online and across our socials. At the end of 12 months, one lucky club will bag €1,000 bursary. The winning club will be chosen through a public vote, so why not use the opportunity to attract new members? Club Focus is part of Beat's ongoing commitment to support the work that local clubs do, while also celebrating the positive impact that they have on local communities. If you want to get your club involved, simply head to beat102103.com forward slash clubfocus to apply now.